السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد صلی اللہ رسولہ الکریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری ویسر لي امری واحلل عقدۃ من لسانی یفقهوا قولی ربنا زدنا علما کتاب الصلاه ان شاء الله ویل بیگن فرام باب نمبر 21 باب الصلاه على الخمره praying the salah on a small mat can you read the bab and the hadith bab as-salati ala al-khumrati haddathana abu al-walidi qala abu al-walidi abu al-walidi qala haddathana shu'batu qala haddathana sulaiman al-shaybani an abdullah ibn shaddad an maymunata qalat kana nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli ala al-khumrati so khumra praying on a small mat khumra is a small mat so The question is that is it permissible to lay something on the floor and then pray on it? Or are you supposed to pray your salah on bare ground, whatever it is, mud, sand, grass, concrete? Is it necessary to pray on it or can you place something on the ground to make your salah more comfortable? Because every surface is not suitable for prayer. So over here we have the evidence that it is permissible to pray on something that you put on the ground and it is also permissible to pray on the ground directly whatever is more comfortable for a person so what's the evidence maymuna radhiyallahu anha she narrated qalat she said kana nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam yusalli ala al-khumra the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he used to pray on a small mat and in the hadith of aisha radhiyallahu anha as well khumra was mentioned And remember that this is not israf this is not seeking extra comfort this is just for ease so that the prayer does not become a burden on a person because sometimes because if a person is praying on surface that is very uncomfortable that causes him pain or that causes him disgust or or takes his attention away then how can a person focus in the salah next bab bab salati ala al firash وصلى انس على فراشه وقال انس كنا نصلي مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فيسجد احدنا على ثوبه احدنا احدنا على ثوبه قد ما شاء الله سو الصلاه على الفراش praying on a bed what is a firash a bed so bed means anything on which a person lays down on in order to sleep in order to recline it could be a mat it could be a mattress it could be a wooden bed anything that is used for sleeping that is used for lying down now what's the condition that the place where a person is praying should be tahir even if there is just a thin barrier between the person and between najasa that is permissible but the condition is that the place where a person is going to pray okay the mat the rug whatever surface it is it has to be clean so likewise if a person is praying on a bed then what's the condition that that bed be clean this doesn't mean that you stand on top of the bed right and then you do sajda over there no it's best to pray on the ground but if there is a reason to pray on the bed like for example a person is sick they're unwell and they're lying down on their bed or they're sitting on their bed there is absolutely no harm as long as the place where they're going to prostrate the place where they're going to do rukur the place where they're sitting is tahir it doesn't matter what is proven for nafl is also permissible for fard unless there is some evidence 
And we would put it on the place where we were supposed to do sajda and we would do sajda on that. Why? Because the ground would be extremely hot as inshallah we will learn. Or because there were pebbles, there was sand and sometimes if you prostrate on ground that is uneven it will not allow you to do sajda properly and it might even cause you discomfort. And clothes is something that a person sleeps in as well. So this is an evidence that a person can pray on a soft surface on cloth as long as that cloth is clean. Okay? This is the only condition. Hadith? Haddathana Ismailu Qala Haddathani Malikun An Abi Abin Nadri Maula Umar Abni Abdil Ubaidillah Ubaidillah An Abi Salamat Abni Abdil Rahmani An Aishata Zawjin Nabi Sallallahu Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Annaha Qalat Kuntu Anama Baina Yadayi Anamu Anamu Baina Yadayi Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ورجلاي في قبلته فإذا سجد غمزني فقبضت رجلي فإذا قام بسطتهما قالت والبيوت يومئذ ليس فيها مصابيح So in this hadith what do we see on Aisha زوج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the wife of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم on her authority that انها قالت that she said كنت انام بين يدي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم I used to sleep انام from نوم I used to sleep Before the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَرِجْلَيَ فِي قِبْلَتِهِ And my feet would be in his direction. Meaning, she would lay in front of him horizontally. Okay? And her feet would be in the place where he had to do sajda. Okay? It doesn't mean that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would face her completely. No. She would be lying down horizontally. But because the room was so small... And that was the only suitable place for him to pray. What would he do? He would pray and her feet would be in the place of his sajda. So then what would happen? فَإِذَا سَجَدَ Then when he would have to do sajda, غَمَزَنِي He would nudge me. فَقَبَضْتُ رِجْلَيَّ So I would pull up my legs, my feet. فَإِذَا قَامَ And then when he would stand again in prayer, بَسَطُّهُمَا I would stretch them out again. قالت, she said, وَالْبُيُوتُ يَوْمَئِذٍ And the houses at that time, لَيْسَ فِيهَا مصابيح. There were no lamps in them. Why did she say this? Because the Prophet ﷺ would nudge her so that she would pull away her legs, so that she would fold her legs in. Alright? Why? Because she could not see. Even if she was awake. Alright? She could not see if the Prophet ﷺ was coming down into sajda. Now there are many things that we learn over here. Okay? But because it was dark, they had no lamps. This is why he would nudge her. So with that nudge, she would know, okay, he's going into sajda, she would fold in her legs, and then when he would stand up, then she would stretch her legs again. Now, we see over here, first of all, the Prophet ﷺ is praying, and she's sleeping. Why would she be sleeping? Either she didn't have to pray herself, or because the hajjud was something that was not mandatory on her, but it was something that was required from the Prophet ﷺ. He had to pray in the night. And he would. And sometimes he would pray so long that his feet would swell. And what would his response be? 
Afala akuna abdan shakura. Should I not be a grateful servant? So it's okay if you're praying and your spouse is sleeping. Don't think that they are not righteous or they're so lazy or they're like this. No. Never think evil of your spouse. Someday you may have strength and another day they may have strength. One day you've been given tawfiq and another day they have been given tawfiq. Alright? Secondly, we see the Prophet ﷺ is praying so silently that Aisha doesn't know when he's coming down into sujood. So he has to nudge her. Then we also see over here that the Prophet ﷺ is touching her in prayer. So this means that if there is some kind of you know, physical contact, obviously for a reason, or sometimes even accidental, between the husband and wife, between mahram, even if opposite gender, there is no sin in that the salah does not break. Because sometimes it may happen that your husband is praying. And you're passing by. So what happens? At the same time, he's getting up from ruku or something. And you end up bumping into him slightly. Or that he's praying right before you're right. Or you're praying close by and it happens, right? So in this situation, remember that the salah is not invalid. It does not break. That imagine she's sleeping and her sleep is constantly being affected because of his prayer. But we see that he is accommodating of her and she is accommodating of him. Both need to cooperate with one another. One cannot complain that I cannot sleep properly, you keep nudging me. right? And the other cannot complain that, why are you sleeping? Because if you sleep, then I don't have you know, the motivation to pray. right? No. Both need to accommodate one another and both need to cooperate with each other. So we see over here that why is Imam Bukhari bringing this hadith? Because where the feet of Aisha anha were, that was the bed. That was where she was lying down. So that was the bed. That was her sleeping place. So that is where the Prophet ﷺ was doing sajda. You understand? Because as-salati ala al-firash, that's the bab. Aisha anha is lying down and obviously her feet will be where? On her bed. Don't think of a of a wooden bed. Okay? Sometimes bed is also on the floor, like a mattress or a sheet on the floor. Okay, so it's permissible to pray there as long as the place is clean. Now, one more thing. You may have heard of a hadith in which we learn that if a woman passes before a man while he is praying, then his salah is broken. Right? And that is an authentic hadith. So how do we combine the two? How do we understand the two? thing is there is a difference between passing in front of and over here she was sleeping in front of. And also one more thing, that only her feet were in front of him, in the place of Sajda. So there is no harm in that. حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى بْنُ بُكَيْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا اللَّيْثُ عَنْ عُقَيْلٍ عَنْ ابْنِ شِهَابٍ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي عُرْوَةُ أَنَّ عَائِشَةَ أَخْبَرَتُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يُصَلِّي وَهِيَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ الْقِبْلَةِ عَلَى فِرَاشِ أَهْلِهِ That Aisha رضي الله عنها, she informed that the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray while she would be between him and between the Qibla. Okay, meaning between him and the Qibla. Okay, the Qibla is in what he was facing. على فراش أهله On the bed of his family. Meaning on the bed where him and his wife, Aisha رضي الله عنها, used to sleep. اعتراض الجنازة اعتراض meaning lying adjacent perpendicular because عرض is width, right? So she would be lying down horizontally, not lengthwise, just like الجنازة. Just like the dead body is placed before the person who is leading the funeral prayer. 
Have you ever seen how it is performed? Or do you know how it is performed? The dead body is placed, but the imam is not right in front, but the body is on the side, right? Just a part of it is in front of the imam. So this is how she would lie down before him. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال حدثنا الليث عن يزيد عن عراك عن عروة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يصلي وعائشة معترضة that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would be praying and Aisha رضي الله عنها would be lying down how? horizontally بينه وبين القبلة between him and between the قبلة على الفراش on the bed الذي ينامان عليه on which both of them would sleep so they shared their bed Aisha would be lying down on it and the Prophet would be praying. Now, there's one thing that we see over here that the Prophet and Aisha slept in the same bed because some people think it is piety to separate the bed from the wife. No, it is sunnah to sleep on the same bed. Obviously, if there's a genuine reason, like for example, sometimes one of them could have a serious snoring issue and the other cannot sleep. So because of that reason, one sleeps in the other room and the other sleeps in the bedroom. So there is a genuine reason over there. Or sometimes because the mother has a baby and the husband needs to go to work really early. So there is a reason. But this is not a permanent thing. It should be only a temporary situation. The husband and the wife, they have been called libas of each other. And in the sunnah also we see that the husband and wife share the bed. Bab as-sujudi ala thawbi fi shiddat al-har. As-sujud, prostrating on what? Al-thawb, ala thawb. فِي شِدَّةِ الْحَرِّ In extreme heat. Meaning when it's extremely hot. The ground is very, very hot. So in that situation, okay, your feet are strong enough to bear the heat. Your knees may be as well because of the clothing there. But when you're doing sajda, your forehead, your nose, I mean, how can you? And sometimes you may be at a masjid, you know, in the courtyard of a masjid. And it may be extremely hot at that time. And if you pray on that, it, it, it might be very, very uncomfortable. So in this situation, what should be done? A person can prostrate on the cloth, on the garment. وَقَالَ الْحَسَنُ And Hassan said, كَانَ الْقَوْمُ Some people would يَسْجُدُونَ عَلَى الْعِمَامَةِ They would do sajda on the turban. وَالْقَلَنْسُوَةِ وَيَدَاهُ فِي كُمِّهِ قَلَنْسُوَةِ is a head covering. Okay? A head covering. Basically, not an imam and not a turban, but a head covering. Like for example, some we see the Arabs with a headscarf. Okay, it takes different forms. It's basically one of the head cloths or head coverings that men wear. It's not hijab. Okay, something that men wear, and it's different in different cultures. So, if a person has a head covering, a man has a head covering or a turban or something of the sort, and he goes down into sajda, and the ground is extremely hot, can he place that on the floor and do sajda on it? Or can he put that on the ground from before? Because he knows that he is going to do sajda. So before he starts the prayer, he puts it down on the ground and he does sajda on it. Permissible? Absolutely. And by the way, don't think of the turban as something wrapped up because when you take it off, it's going to be unwrapped. So it's going to be like a piece of cloth. Alright? Don't think of it as a as a hat or as a turban that is stitched together. No. Because in order to put it on, you wrap it. And in order to take it off, you unwrap it. So when it would be taken off, in order to sajda on, obviously it would be a sheet. Okay? So it is completely permissible. Now there is one thing. 
when you know that you're praying on ground that is not comfortable to do sajda on, what should you do from before? Put something on the floor. Some people, they have a habit of keeping a mat in their car or keeping you know, a small foldable prayer mat in their bag. Okay, And you have really nice ones available. Especially when you're traveling, it's ideal to keep something like that in your bag. Okay, Because as you're going down into sajda, you might see something or you might have you know, a nasty feeling in your heart, so you don't want to ruin your salah. Likewise, if you're praying on grass, it's clean, very nice, feels lovely on your feet, but not on your face. So put something on the place of your sajda. Even if it's a small mat, a handkerchief, maybe even paper towel, huh? your jacket, anything that you can find, put it, even paper sometimes. Whatever that you can find, put it there just to make your sajda comfortable. But remember, it is not mandatory. It is not mandatory. Yes. Exactly. Yes, because the, the grass is going to come into your nose, is going to poke your face, and then you're wondering what kind of fertilizer is this, and who walked on it, and which animal came here. Right? So your mind can wander off anywhere. So to maintain khushur in salah, what is best? That you put something on the ground when there is a need. And before you pray, always check the place. Is this suitable for prayer? Is it suitable for sajda? And if it's not, then do what is necessary basically. The question is, while you're praying, let's say you didn't realize before the salah. Now while you're praying, can you do that? You can as long as the movement is not excessive. Because we have learned that a person can move a little bit during the prayer where the movement is necessary, but it should not be too much. Okay, because it's going to take your focus away. So for example, you have your hijab. Okay, your khimal. It's big enough. You're going down into sajda. Instead of taking your arms out, what do you do? You keep them in and you go straight down. And then as you get up, it gets up with you. As you go down, it goes down with you. That the people would do sajda on his fayasjudu ala ahaduna ala sawbihi. Obviously, sawbihi is what he's wearing at that time. Okay? So for example... He's wearing a loose sheet around his shoulders. And as he goes down into sajda, he takes a part of it, puts it on the ground, does sajda, gets up, and then again puts it on the ground, does sajda on it. Okay? But it should not be excessive movement that a woman is trying to readjust her hijab and taking a portion of it and then... حدثنا أبو الوليدي هشام بن عبد الملك قال حدثنا بشر بن المفضل قال حدثني غالب القطان عن بكر بن عبد الله عن أنس بن مالك قال كنا نصلي مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنس بن مالك he said we used to pray with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم I see that when I mention the name of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم many of you your mouths don't move your mouths don't move at all I don't hear anything I don't see anything please be very careful قال كنا نصلي مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فيضع أحدنا so one of us would place طرف الثوب the side an edge or a side of his garment, min shiddatil harri, from extreme heat, fi makanis sujudi, in the place of the sajda. So in the place of sajda, what would he do? He would put the side, the edge of his garment, over there, in order to do sajda on it. Bab as-salati fi niali, praying in sandals. Can you pray in shoes? Can you pray in sandals? 
Yes, you can, especially when there is fear of losing them. Or there is fear that the floor is wet, it's slippery. Okay, or that your feet will get dirty. So in that case, dirty as in muddy. Not najis, but muddy. Okay? Or that the floor may be very hot. The ground may be very uneven. There may be stones over there. So in that situation, pray with your shoes on. You may be out for a picnic. You don't have a prayer mat. All you can find is paper towel. So you put that in the place of your sajda. Keep your shoes on and pray. Okay? Is that okay? Perfectly okay. In safar, as well as hadar. Meaning, you can do this when you're traveling, and you can even do this when you're at home. Let's say the weather is really nice, and you go out in the backyard, and you want to pray there. And you don't want to bring the prayer mat outside on the grass, because you want to keep indoor things indoor, for example. So you want to pray where you are. So you put something on the place of sajda, and you can pray in your shoes. That salah has been made so comfortable anytime, anywhere. Right? However you are, just basic requirements, basic conditions, and then remember Allah. Haddathana Adam ibn Abi Iyas Qala haddathana shu'batu Qala akhbarana Abu Maslamata Sa'id ibn Yazid al-Azdiyu Qala sa'altu Anas ibn Malikin He said, I asked Anas ibn Malik, Akana Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Yusalli fi na'alayhi He said, I asked that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray in his sandals Qala na'am He said, yes he said, yes, he used to pray in his sandals. But obviously, what's the condition? That the sandals must be clean. The shoes that you're wearing should be clean. Because remember that occasion when the Prophet ﷺ was praying with his shoes on, and Jibreel came and pointed to him, so he took his shoes off, and the companions behind, even they took their shoes off. Right? Because they just followed the Prophet ﷺ. Later on, he explained that his shoes were unclean. This is why he took them off. Now, does this mean that if a person is not wearing their shoes, they should put their shoes on to pray because the Prophet ﷺ used to pray in his shoes. And then we object that why are masajid carpeted? You know, we should be allowed to pray in our shoes, bring our shoes inside the masajid. No. It is mentioned that it is better to pray sometimes barefoot and sometimes wearing shoes according to what is easy. According to what is easy. And what is easy? That if, if a person is wearing shoes, then they should pray in their shoes. And if a person is not wearing shoes, then they should not wear their shoes. They should not put them on in order to pray. Okay? So, wherever you are, however you are, whatever is most convenient, do that. That we see what is more common today is that you don't wear your shoes to pray. Right? When you're praying. So, this proves that if you're wearing your shoes, you don't need to take them off to pray. Unless there is another reason to do so. Like for example, you're going to pray on a mat on a carpet. And if you put your shoes on it, it's going to get dirty. So in that situation, yes, you take your shoes off. But otherwise, don't take your shoes off just for salah. And don't just put your shoes on for salah. Okay? Do whatever is easy and convenient at the time. Bab as-salati fil khifafi To pray in leather socks. We learned earlier that a person can do mas'h on his socks. In other words, when a person is doing wudu and he's wearing his socks, as long as he had wudu when he put his socks on, he can wipe over them. So obviously if you're wiping over them to do wudu, that means you're praying in them. So when wiping over them is permissible, then by extension, praying in them is also permissible. But there is also other evidence that it is permissible. 
حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة عن الأعمش قال سمعت إبراهيم يحدث عن همام بن الحارث قال رأيت جرير بن عبد الله بالا ثم توضأ He said I saw جرير بن عبد الله He urinated and then he did wudu ومسح على خفيه and then he wiped over his socks ثم قام then he stood فصلى and then he prayed meaning he prayed like that فسئل so he was asked that what did you just do? First of all, you didn't wash your feet, you just wiped over your socks. Secondly, you're wearing these socks which are covering your ankles. And for the men, the ankles have to be uncovered, right? And then you're praying like that. ثُمَّ قَامَ فَصَلَّى فَسُئِلَ فَقَالَ So he said, رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ صَنَعَ مِثْلَ هَذَا He said, I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing something like this. Doing like this. قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ Ibrahim said, فَكَانَ يُعْجِبُهُمْ This answer would amaze the people. Why? لِأَنَّ جَرِيرًا Because Jarir كَانَ مِنْ آخِرِ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ He was one of the last people to embrace Islam. So what does that mean? That he is someone who became Muslim towards the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life. And if he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing this, that means that the Prophet ﷺ did this towards the end of his life. Which means that this was not mansukh. This was not abrogated. Okay? So this is why they were amazed that wow, the Prophet ﷺ did this. So that means it is permissible for us to. حدثنا إسحاق بن نصر قال حدثنا أبو أسامة عن الأعمش عن مسلم عن مسروق عن المغيرة ابن شعبة قال وضأت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم He said, I helped the Prophet ﷺ perform wudu فمسح على خفيه وصلى And then he wiped over his socks and he prayed. But remember that wearing socks is not mandatory. Neither for men nor for women. For men, their ankles have to be exposed, but for women, their ankles have to be covered. And like we learned earlier, it's necessary that the ankles be covered and if part of the foot is exposed, there is no harm. Because the way of the people at that time was not to wear socks all the time. Imagine if the men, some of them possessed only two garments to cover their bodies with, or only one garment like we learned earlier. You think they could afford to buy Several socks for their wives? Leather socks? No, they couldn't. Every person did not even possess shoes or sandals. They lived in extreme poverty. And there are places where people live in such poverty. And we see that everyone cannot afford to have many socks and to wear socks all the time, to wear socks for five salawat in one day. So wearing socks is not mandatory on a woman. What is necessary is that her ankles are covered and as much of the foot as she can cover, she should cover And how? With what? With a long garment. Because that was the way of the women at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. They would wear long garments and with that their feet would be covered. And it is inevitable that when you're wearing a long garment, when you will go down into sajda, what will happen? The back of your foot will be exposed. Can get exposed. Okay? So don't impose this hardship upon yourself that you wear socks all the time. Ensure that your clothes are long. Like for example, your abaya is long. The pants that you're wearing are long enough. Your skirt, whatever you're wearing is long enough. And it should be long anyways. Okay? Because it's not decent that a woman's ankles are being exposed when she's out. So ensure that your clothes are long enough to cover. But don't put your socks on to pray. Because this will make deen difficult for you and for your family. You see, it depends on the length of the abaya. Because some women, they prefer to have their abaya above their ankles. And sometimes they prefer to have it below their ankles. The longer it is, the better it is. 
it's best, but there's no evidence that proves that they have to be covered. And we discussed this earlier. In winter, what will men do? They will take their socks off, they will expose their ankles when it's extremely cold? No. They can keep their socks on. The point is that the men should not have their izal, the lower garment, so long that their ankles are being covered because of them. Meaning, what is falling down from above should not be long. This is socks that you've worn. Are you talking about ankle socks? No, no. Ankle socks should not be worn for mas'ah. Man or woman. Okay? When it comes to mas'ah, when it comes to wudu, okay, wiping socks, then remember that those socks should be long enough to cover the ankles. Okay? And you can pray in that too. If you're wearing ankle socks, you cannot do mas'ah on them. Okay? Clear? And for a man who does mas'ah on his socks, can he pray in them? Of course, because if he will take them off, according to one opinion, his wudu will be invalid then. Even if it covers his ankles, because it's not the upper garment that is... You see, what is forbidden for men is that their upper garment should not be so long that their ankles are covered. Because in the time of jahiliyyah, the rich people would wear long lower garments and they would drag them behind which is why if you read the complete hadith, in which it is mentioned that what is below the ankles is in the fire, it mentions that Allah will not even look at the person who drags his clothes behind him out of pride. Okay, So this was an expression of haughtiness that, that the Arabs would do, that they would wear long garments and drag them behind them. Like a trail behind or whatever it is. So that is something that's not permissible. Yeah, but it's best to expose the ankles in the salah, meaning they should fold them up in the prayer. Okay, if the socks are covering, that's a different story. Bab ida lam yutim when the prostration is not complete. Why is this being mentioned all of a sudden? Because if your clothing is not appropriate, if the place of sajda is not well prepared, then will you do sajda properly? No, you won't do it. If the grass is pokey, right, and you're doing sajda directly on it you didn't put anything on it, then what will happen when you're doing sajda? You will not place your head and your nose on the ground properly. Correct? If the ground is extremely hot, then what will happen? You will go down to sajda, immediately get up. Go down to sajda, immediately get up. You will not be able to do your sujood properly. So is this a problem? A very, very big problem. أَخْبَرَنَا الصَّلْتُ ibn Muhammad أَخْبَرَنَا مَهْدِيُّ عن واصل عن أبي وائل عن حذيفة رأى رجلا حذيفة رضي الله عنه he saw a man لا يتم ركوعه ولا سجوده who was not completing his ruku' nor his sujood meaning he was not performing them properly he would go down into sajda and get up immediately he would go down into ruku' and get up immediately he wouldn't even go down properly barely touch the ground and get up barely go into bending position and get up okay he would not perfect the sajda or the rukur. He was rushing through the prayer. فَلَمَّا قَضَى صَلَاتَهُ Then when he completed his prayer, قَالَ لَهُ حُذَيْفَةُ حُذَيْفَ said to him, مَا صَلَّيْتَ You have not prayed. This is not salah. قَالَ وَأَحْسِبُهُ He said, and I think, قَالَ He said, that حُذَيْفَ said, لَوْ مُتَّ If you were to die, performing salah in this manner, مُتَّ عَلَى غَيْرِ سُنَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم. Then you would die on other than the sunnah of Muhammad ﷺ, meaning you're not dying on the sunnah. You're not practicing the sunnah. You are far, far from the sunnah. Because what is the sunnah? 
to perform the sajda and the rukur properly. So we see that he was very stern over here. Because the matter of sajda and rukur is very serious. You know that the worst theft is the theft of salah. And what is the theft of salah? That a person does not perform a rukul properly and completely. So a person, when he's performing sajda, what should he do? He should go down, become still, recite the necessary adhkar, and then get up. Not that a person says, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la on the way to sajda. Okay? One Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la there, and one Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la on getting up, or while getting up. Like many people do. As they go down into rukur, they say, Allah Akbar, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la as they go down into rukur. One Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la there, as they're getting up, Samir Allah Liman Hamidah. This is not appropriate. You are supposed to say the adhkar of sajda in sajda. The adhkar of rukur in rukur. And you cannot say them until and unless you have tamatnina. What is tamatnina? Stillness, calmness. That you go into sajda, you become still and calm. You say what you have to say and then you get up. Remember the person who did not do sajda and rukur properly? What did the Prophet ﷺ say to him? Idhab fasalli. فَإِنَّكَ لَمْ تُصَلِّ Pray because you have not prayed. So he went and prayed again. Made the same mistake. The Prophet ﷺ said, go pray again. Made the same mistake until the man eventually gave up and he said, teach me. And what did the Prophet ﷺ teach him? That when you go to sajda, then become still. When you go to rukur, become still. If there is a reason and you have to finish your prayer quickly, then shorten the qiyam. Okay, shorten the surah. Shorten your adhkar. So for example, you say subhanahu rabbi al-azim three times and then also some other masnoon dua, then don't say that. Just say subhanahu rabbi al-azim three times. That's enough. So do the bare minimum and in that manner shorten your prayer. Don't shorten it by leaving that which is mandatory because that renders the salah invalid, unacceptable. A lot of importance is given to the prayer itself but not on the correct method of prayer, how to pray properly. Because where it is necessary to pray, it is also necessary to pray properly. Because if the prayer is not proper, it will not be accepted. Some people, their deeds are accepted, and other people, their deeds are not accepted. Why are deeds not accepted? When they don't meet the correct requirements. When they are not according to the sunnah. So this is why Hudayfah was so stern that if you die praying like this, then you will be far from the sunnah of the Messenger wasallam. Bab yubdi that in the sajda, what should happen? Yubdi, that the musalli, the person who's praying, he should expose, meaning he should show his armpits. Doesn't mean that there should be uncovered. The purpose over here is that the armpit can only be seen if the arm is away from the body. Right? If the arm is opened up. Okay? So this is what is meant, that yubdi dhab'aihi wa yujafi fi sujudi and he should yujafi, yujafi tatajafa, to keep away. So he should keep away his arms from what? From the body, when? In sajda. In other words, when a person is performing sajda, then his arms should not be touching the side of his body or her body. This is the same for men and women. The arms should not be touching the side of the body. Rather, they should be kept away from the body. Not that the, other, the person praying next to you is being disturbed. No. Meaning they should be loose. Can you do that? Such that your armpit is open. This is how you're supposed to do such them. Relaxed. That don't be tight and uncomfortable. 
and closed in. Relax. Relax and sajda. Alright? When can you do this? What has this got to do with the previous abwab? Okay, the place of sajda and also the clothing, the libas, right? That if the libas is not suitable, then what will you do? You'll be so tight in your prayer. Afraid that your hijab will fall off. Afraid that your body will be exposed. So the clothing has to be proper so that a person can do sajda comfortably and properly. In jama'ah, even in that case, you should you know, keep your arms away from the body as much as possible. And make sure that your armpit is open. Okay, One is to pray like this and the other is to pray like this. Even with a little bit of gap, it is possible to achieve this. You don't have to have your arms outstretched completely. So, باب يبدي ضبعه ويجافي في السجود أخبرنا يحيى بن بكير حدثنا بكر بن مضر عن جعفر عن ابن هرمز عن عبد الله بن مالك ابن بحينة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا صلى when he used to pray فرج بين يديه then he would فرج فرج is from فرج right which is basically a gap right a hole in something so فرج he would keep he would keep a gap between his hands, what this means is that he would spread his arms. Okay? So that there would be a gap between the side of the body and the arm. So your upper arm and the side of the body. You have to keep a gap between them. How is that possible? That when you keep the arm away. So إِذَا صَلَّى فَرَّجَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ حَتَّى يَبْدُوَ So much so that يَبْدُوَ It would be exposed بَيَاضُ إِبْطَيْهِ The whiteness of his armpits. Right? This was obviously because for a man it's necessary to cover the shoulders, but obviously if he's in sajda, then sometimes the armpit may be exposed. So, وَقَالَ اللَّيْثُ حَدَّثَنِي جَعْفَرُ بْنُ رَبِيعَةَ نَحْوَهُ So what's the lesson over here? That the arms should not be touching the side of the body. Rather, a gap should be maintained. And this is only possible when the clothing is appropriate, the place is suitable for prayer, then a person can perform the salah properly. And if he does not perform the salah properly, then how will salah be accepted? So this is why it is important to ensure that your clothing is correct, the place where you're praying is also suitable. Right? We think that this only affects khushur. It affects the validity of your prayer even. You know, when we emphasize so much, make sure your hijab is not slippery, make sure it's long enough, make sure it's like this. Why do we emphasize all this? Yes, to ensure khushur. But not just that, to ensure the validity of prayer as well. This is why it's necessary to learn about all of these matters. Now, like I mentioned earlier, that this is something that's for men as well as for women. What's the evidence for that? The evidence is that there is nothing against it. Okay? When the Prophet said, Sallu kama usalli, pray as you see me praying, then it means that men and women have to follow the same method of prayer. The same method of prayer. And the only thing that women will do different is what they have been told. And what is that? The covering. Okay? The covering. Their clothing. Only their clothing is different. And in Jama'ah, where they stand? Where do they stand? At the back. From now, the following abwab are basically about istiqbalul qibla, facing the qibla. So in some books you will find that all of these abwab are under a different chapter. Okay, in other books you won't find that, in some books you might. So abwab istiqbalul qibla, the chapters relating to the qibla. First of all, bab fadl istiqbalul qiblati. 
the excellence of facing the qibla fadl the virtue the importance of facing the qibla how necessary it is how important it is so much so that yastaqbilu that the musalli he will face the qibla how bi atrafi rijlayhi with the toes with the edges of his two feet and what does the edge refer to the toes meaning the toes should also be facing the qibla in prayer how important it is to face the qibla that your entire body every single limb of yours obviously for the limb which is possible okay it should be facing the qibla so for example you should be standing completely straight completely straight so that your knees are facing the qibla your face is in the direction of the qibla your shoulders are in the direction of the qibla your feet and so much so that even your toes so what does it mean that you should not be standing in such a way that your feet are going sideways no your feet should be straight and when you will do that your posture will be straight when you will do that the row will be straight you know that we complain about the rows not being straight why because the people are not standing properly their toes are not facing the qibla that if you look at the maqam ibrahim alayhi salam how are his feet straight okay straight not going sideways you understand what i mean by sideways right so the feet should be as straight as possible the toes should be facing the qibla this is how important it is so bab fadl istiqbal al qiblati yastaqbilu bi atrafi rijlayhi and also when you're sitting Okay, when you're sitting, then your feet, your right foot should be upwards, right? It should be standing. So in that case also, your toes are folded. Why? So that they are facing the qibla. When you're sitting in tashahud, your hands are straight, not inwards, not outwards, straight. Why? So that your fingers are also facing the qibla. Exactly. Even the takbir that you say, straight palms, not folded. Okay, straight so that your palms are facing the qibla. Can we do that? And you will notice a different. Not right now. I mean, in prayer. So when you will do that, you will feel a difference. You feel that your entire body is attentive. Hands are straight. Your face is straight. Your forehead, your shoulders, your toes, everything in the direction of the qibla. I remember I was very, very little when my father taught me this. Right? And from that day I remember that you know toes have to be straight because children they are more focused on the physical aspect of prayer right so it's necessary that they are taught these things so that they develop these habits so that when they grow up they can focus on khushu So fadl istiqbal al-qibla yastaqbilu bi atrafi rijlayhi qala Abu Humayd an an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam Abu Humayd mentioned that from the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and inshallah this will be mentioned later so basically we learned this in a hadith Hadathana عمر بن عباس قال حدثنا ابن المهدي قال حدثنا منصور بن سعد عن ميمون بن سياه عن انس بن مالك قال هي سد قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said man salla salatana whoever performed our prayer واستقبل قبلتنا and faced our qibla واكل ذبيحتنا and ate our dhabiha فذلك المسلم so that is the muslim الذي له ذمة الله وذمة رسوله the one for whom is the protection of Allah and the protection of his messenger ذمة over here gives meaning of protection meaning such a person is 
under the protection of Allah and His Messenger. So the Messenger said, فَلَا تُخْفِرُ اللَّهَ فِي دِمَّتِهِ So do not act treacherously against Allah with respect to His protection. تُخْفِرُ is, is basically غَدْر غَدْر meaning doing khiyana, acting treacherously. So when Allah has protected you, then do not do khiyana in respect to that protection. What does that mean? That protect yourself, remain Muslim, that if you do khiyana in salah, in qibla, in zabiha, you're losing the protection of Allah. So, what do we see over here? Man salla salatana, wastaqbala qiblatana, akala zabihatana. Salah, qibla, zabiha, all are equally important. Because these three things, what are they? They are the obvious signs of being a Muslim. They're the obvious sha'air of the deen, right? If a person prays, he's obviously Muslim. If a person faces the qibla, obviously Muslim. Eats the biha, obviously Muslim. So, it is very, very important for a person to strive to determine the qibla when he prays salah. Because just as it is important to pray, it is important to determine the qibla, to face the qibla. And if you don't know the qibla, you can't just pray randomly in any direction. You have to determine to the best of your ability. You have to ask. Look at the sun. Find a map. Buy an app. Okay? Do whatever you have to do. But facing the qibla is mandatory in prayer. It is wajib. It is wajib to face the qibla in prayer. And it shows the importance of the qibla, this hadith. And notice the Prophet ﷺ said, Our qibla. Wastaqbala qiblatana. Our qibla. The qibla of who? Of the Muslims. And what is that? The Kaaba. And some scholars, they said that the Kaaba was the qibla of all the prophets. Okay? It was the qibla of all the prophets. And it was the Yahud and the Nasara who changed the qibla. Okay? To Baytul Maqdis. And even in that, they were not united. Some of them faced... One part of it, the others faced the other part of it. Some faced the Mashriq, others faced the Maghrib. Some scholars have said that, that the original Qibla, since forever, because in the awwala baytin, wudi'a lil-nas, lalladhi bibakka. Ibrahim a.s. wa'adhin fil-nas bil-hajj. Right? Ibrahim a.s. was to make the announcement for hajj. Everyone was to come to the Kaaba to pray. And if they were not there, they were to face the Kaaba in their salah, in their prayer, however their prayer was. So all of the prophets, they faced the Kaaba. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in Mecca, he faced the Kaaba. When he migrated to Medina, for about 16 to 17 months, he was to face Baytul Maqdis. Why? Hmm? It was a test for the people of that time, as we learn in the second juz. Also, to incline the Ahlul Kitab to accepting, to show that he is the follower of the same deen. Meaning that he is the messenger, a continuation of the previous messengers basically. So anyway, eventually the Qibla was changed to the Kaaba. So all the Muslims, wherever they are, when it is time for, for prayer, they must face the Qibla. Okay, regardless of which place they are in. And notice over here, the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ صَلَّى صَلَاتَنَا وَاسْتَقْبَلَ قِبْلَتَنَا وَأَكَلَ ذَبِيحَتَنَا What does it mean by who prayed our prayer? There are many people who pray, but everyone doesn't pray the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. And what I mean by that is not that they're not performing all the sunan. 
What I mean by that is that there are many people who pray in different religions. But their salah is not like that of the Prophet ﷺ. They don't face the Kaaba. They don't say takbir. They don't recite Surah Al-Fatiha. They don't do rukur. They don't do sajda. Correct? They will do similar actions maybe, but not completely. For example, the Jewish prayer is very similar. But it's not like the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? Likewise, there are people who claim to be Muslim, but they pray only twice. And they pray in a different way. Their method is completely different. That is not the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. The second thing is what? وَاسْتَقْبَلَ قِبْلَتَنَا right? People, they face an idol. They face a different structure maybe. That is not acceptable. Who is in the protection of Allah and His Messenger? The one who faces the Qibla, meaning the Kaaba in prayer. وَأَكَلَ ذَبِيحَتَنَا Eight hour the biha. What is the biha? The slaughtered meat, right? The slaughtered animal the meat of which is for eating. So, there are many people who slaughter, but everyone doesn't slaughter like the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered. Like the Muslims at the time of the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered. And if they don't slaughter in that way, then that meat, you can't eat. And what is that way? Allah's name is mentioned. Right? That the slaughterer is either a Muslim or a Kitabi. Right? And that thirdly, the blood is drained out completely. Because the animal is cut from the jugular vein. That we see where Qibla unites the believers, it is also Salah that unites the believers. And it is also Zabiha that unites the believers. These are all symbols of unity, of discipline. Discipline, because Salah, what kind of discipline it brings to a person's life? Likewise, Qibla, it makes you aware of your surroundings. You know where north is, where south is, where east is, where west is. And other people, they may have no idea. And if they do, it's only because of their driving. Right? That's the only reason why they know. Likewise, the biha. You become so disciplined in your eating. So this is something that brings unity and discipline to not just one Muslim, but to all of the Muslims. حدثنا نعيم قال حدثنا ابن المبارك عن حميد الطويل عن أنس بن مالك قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the Messenger وسلم, said, Umirtu an uqatil an nas, I have been commanded to fight the people, hatta yaqulu la ilaha illallah, until they say, there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. Fa'ida qaluha, then when they say it, wasallaw salatana, and they perform our prayer, wasallaw qiblatana, and they face our qibla, wadabahu dabihatana, and they slaughter our dabiha, meaning the way we slaughter, they slaughter in the same way, faqad harumat alayna dima'uhum wa amwaluhum. Then their blood, and their property, meaning their lives and their properties are forbidden on us. Illa bihaqiha, except by its right. Meaning unless there is another reason to, to take part of their property or their life. وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ And their final account is with who? With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the first part of this hadith, it's a discussion for some other time inshallah. But for now what is of relevance to us is that what makes a person a Muslim, an obvious sign of his Islam, Amongst other signs is what? Facing the Qibla. And it shows the importance of the Qibla. قَالَ ابْنُ أَبِي مَرْيَمْ أَخْوَرَنَا يَحْيَى حَدَّثَنَا حُمَيْدٌ حَدَّثَنَا أَنَسْ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ وَقَالَ عَلِيٌّ ابْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ حَدَّثَنَا خَالِدُ بْنُ الْحَارِثِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حُمَيْدٌ قَالَ سَأَلَ مَيْمُونَ ابْنُ سِيَاهٍ أَنَسَ بْنَ مَالِكٍ قَالَ يَا أَبَا حَمْزَةٍ So Maymun bin Siyah, he asked Anas ibn Malik, he said, O Abu Hamza, Kunya of Anas bin Malik, مَا يُحَرِّمُ الدَّمَ الْعَبْدِ وَمَا لَهُ What is it that makes haram the blood, meaning the life of a servant and his wealth? 
Meaning, what is it that makes it sacred so that a Muslim cannot fight him, cannot take it away? Fakalaman shahida. He said, so whoever witnesses Allah ilaha illallah that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah was taqbala qiblatana and faces our qibla was salla salatana and performs our prayer wa akala dhabihatana and ate our dhabiha fahuwa al-Muslim. So he is a Muslim. Lahu mali al-Muslim. He has the same rights as that of other Muslims wa alayhi ma ala al-Muslim and upon him are responsibilities as other Muslims. Meaning such a person will be considered a Muslim. So what is the sign of a Muslim? His prayer, his qibla, his food. His prayer, his qibla, his food. All of these three things are signs of a Muslim. But the question is, why is it necessary, so important to face the qibla? Because you see, this is something that basically protects a person's life. Meaning this is something that ensures him security in a Muslim land. The fact that he faces the qibla. Why? What's the big deal? He's praying. Isn't that enough? What's the significance of the Qibla? Unity, organization, discipline, obedience, submission. Right? Because just imagine, if 20 people are praying in the same place, one is praying this way, another praying is this way, another praying in this way. How haphazard, how disunited, how disorganized. Chaos. Right? But when people are praying... In the same direction, forming rows, then the scene is completely different. From a flea market to a proper grocery store. A huge difference from a street with no road signs on it, no separate, what do you call it, lanes to organized driving, right? Organized roads. Yes, wahdaniya, unity. So this is why it's so important. And if you see... At the beginning of the second juice, so much emphasis has been given over there. Turn your faces now. Turn your faces now towards the Qibla. Face it. When a person is traveling at home, wherever he is, face the Qibla. Because without the Qibla, we would be disunited. The Qibla of the people of Medina and the people of Asha'm and the people of the East. Okay, wal-mashriqi means wa-ahl-mashriqi. So after knowing the importance of facing the Qibla, a person must know what is the Qibla, where is the Qibla. So the next step is to determine where the Qibla is. So how to determine it? With regards to the people of Medina, the people of Syria, and the people of the East. For them, Imam Bukhari says, their Qibla, he says, لَيْسَ فِي الْمَشْرِقِ وَلَا فِي الْمَغْرِبِ قِبْلَةٌ For them, for who? People of Medina, people of Sham, people of Mashriq. For them, there is no Qibla فِي الْمَشْرِقِ وَلَا فِي الْمَغْرِبِ Not the east, not the west. Meaning, when they're praying, their Qibla is not in the east, nor is their Qibla in the west. So then where is it? Between the east and the west. For them, for all these people who live in this part of the world, for them their qibla is between the east and the west. Why? What's the evidence? لِقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, Because of the statement of the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم, that لَا تَسْتَقْبِلُ الْقِبْلَةَ Do not face the qibla when بِغَائِطٍ When using the washroom or bowlin or when urinating وَلَكِنْ شَرِّقُوا أَوْ غَرِّبُوا Rather face the east or the west. So when he said, Face the east, 
when you're using the washroom or face the west when using the washroom, then what does that mean? That the east is not qibla, west is not qibla. What is between and what is that? What is that? What is between the east and the west is what? Either north or south, right? So what is between, that is the qibla. But remember that the Prophet ﷺ said this to who? To the people of Medina. Okay? To the people of Medina. This doesn't mean that this will be applicable everywhere in the world. This doesn't mean that the statement will be generalized, that you cannot face the east, you cannot face the west. You will either face northeast, northwest, anywhere, you know, on those degrees, or towards the south. No. Depends on where you are. So anyway, we see that Makkah, it is in the south of Medina. Isn't it? Makkah is in the south of Medina. And you have to face Makkah when you're praying. So for the people of Medina, and for the people who are in Asha'am, and if you see that pink up there, where Jordan is written, okay, above that is Jerusalem. So basically we see that all of these cities, Medina, Jerusalem, likewise we see Egypt on this side. If you go higher up, there's Turkey, North Africa, Europe. They are basically in the north-west. Okay? They're in the northwest of Makkah. So for them, the Qibla is what? South, east. Okay? Now obviously the degree will change depending on where they are. But basically it's southeast. So see the Prophet ﷺ said not Mashriq, but between Mashriq and Maghrib, right? So it becomes southeast. It's not exactly east, but it's southeast. Alright? Now, if a person is in the east side of Makkah, so you're looking at the other side where Pakistan is, India is, basically you're looking at Asia. In that part of the world, the Qibla will be west for them. Right? Now again, southwest, northwest, depending on where exactly they are. They're above Makkah or below Makkah. So it will be in the direction of west. The problem is when you come to North America. Obviously it has to be where you are. When it comes to North America, there is difference of opinion. Some people, they say that you have to pray southeast. And others say that you have to pray northeast. Majority of the people, they pray northeast. We pray northeast at Al-Huda as well. Okay? Just so that you know. And probably in your house as well, you pray northeast. But you never thought about that. And when you go outside, you ask people which direction to pray, they tell you usually northeast. But there is an opinion out there that you have to pray southeast. Why? Because when you look at the map, the flat map... Okay, the flat map, then what happens? You see that North America is in the northwest of Makkah. You know what I'm talking about? North America is in the northwest of Makkah. So if you are in North America and you have to face Makkah, then you will go southeast. Okay? But we go northeast. Why? Because the earth is not flat, it is round. And when you go round, then obviously it makes more sense to go northeast. If you'd like to read more on this, I recommend that you do. And if you'd like to, then moonsighting.com slash qibla.html. There's a whole article on this with pictures. I recommend that you read through it for your own further understanding. So anyway, it is necessary to know where you are and face the qibla correctly. Now, how can you determine which way the qibla is? If you're at home, you're at masjid, Easy to figure out. But let's say you're in a parking lot. Let's say you go to a picnic. Then what do you do? Okay, you will look at 
a compass which is in your phone. And alhamdulillah, there are many apps out there for different kinds of phones. So if you have to purchase it, even I say purchase it. Okay? But many are free. But if, let's say, you need to, then go ahead and do that. If you have to purchase a compass, then go ahead and do that. Why? Because it is important to know the Qibla in order to pray. One more thing that you can do. Let's say you don't have your phone. Okay? Everybody doesn't have that kind of phone. Everybody doesn't even have a phone. In that case, what do you do? Look at the sun. If you know where the sun rises from, where it sets, then you know that the sun rises from the east, sets in the west, so you can easily determine. Okay? Northeast. Alright? You can determine which way northeast is and you can pray in that direction. There are other ways as well. With your analog watch. Not digital watch, with your analog watch. There's something that you do, you know, you point it up in a particular direction, you know, with the sun, then you can figure out which way north is, east is, west is. But if you're not that high tech, then one thing that you can do is go ask anybody uh, which way west is, which way east is. Okay? Because there are many people who know about the map, especially of the local area, and they'll tell you, this road east, this road west. Right? So in that way you can determine, inshallah. And there are many times where I've actually used this. I've asked people, do you know which way west is? Do you know which way north is? And they've been able to tell. Okay? Alhamdulillah. But please, you have to make the effort to determine the qibla. You can't say, I'm too embarrassed. Right? I'm too embarrassed to pray first of all. And here I am, random person walking up to somebody asking which way north, south, east, west is. Right? They'll suspect me or they'll do... No, there's no harm. But you cannot just pray with ignorance. Because this is as equally important as salah, as equally important as the biha. When it comes to eating, we're so particular. We will ask again and again about the ingredients. Correct? We will ask again and again, even if it's a Muslim with a halal symbol. Was his machine slaughtered or hand slaughtered? Right? We're so particular about Zabiha, but when it comes to Qibla, unfortunately, we are very careless. We say, never mind, Allah knows, I'm just going to face this direction and pray. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You have to find out. She's mentioning how at the library she needed to pray and she asked where she could pray. And she said that go to the supervisor and ask that you're Muslim, you need a place to pray, so they will make some arrangements for you. So the things that we have to give importance to, our salah, and inshallah Allah will provide opportunities. Right? But always you know, notice where the sun rises from, where it sets, so that you have you know, some awareness of your surroundings and, and full confidence that you are praying in the correct direction. I know of so many people who have accidentally prayed in the wrong direction. Somebody came to their house, checked, is this the Qibla? Is this the correct Qibla? And they found out that it was not the correct Qibla. They were praying in the wrong direction for years, for months. So first of all, check in your own house. Are you facing the Qibla in Salah or not? Or are you just doing what somebody told you? Check first of all. Okay? Secondly, remember that it is necessary to face the Qibla, right? In the Qur'an we learn Shatr, right? In the direction of. So, yes, the angle can be slightly different. So for example, it could be different by one or two degrees, even five degrees, even ten degrees, even fifteen degrees, depending on what is easy for people. Like it's possible the first person who prayed there, he determined the Qibla based on the sun. And now here you are with your 
you know, high tech app on your phone that tells you, no, the qibla is slightly towards the right or slightly towards the left, and there you give the fatwa off. You know, people have been praying in the wrong direction. No. There is room for, you know, a little bit of difference. Okay? As long as the main direction is the same. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان قال حدثنا الزهري عن عطاء بن يزيد عن أبي أيوب الأنصاري أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا أتيتم الغائط that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said when you come to the washroom فلا تستقبل القبلة then do not face the قبلة ولا تستدبروها and do not even have your back towards it ولكن شرقوا أو غربوا rather face the east or the west when using the washroom and he said this to who? to the people of Medina قال أبو أيوب أبو أيوب said فقدمنا الشأم so we came to الشأم فوجدنا meaning Syria and we found مراحيض washrooms toilets that were بنيت that were built قبل القبلة in the direction of the قبلة because they were built by who? people of الشأم were who? previously they were Christian right? so they had washrooms that were made built facing the قبلة so he said فننحرفوا so we would turn aside meaning turn at an angle Obvious meaning with their face. Okay? Obviously, if the washroom is fixed in a particular direction, you don't have an option. So he said, we would turn aside like in our face. And when astaghfirullah ta'ala, and we would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وعن الزهري عن عطاء قال سمعت أبا أيوب عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مثله. Now we have read this issue earlier in Kitab al-Wudu where we learned that if a person is using the washroom out in the open, then in that case, he should not have his front or back towards the qibla. Rather, to the other side. But if a person is using the washroom in a closed place, okay, like for example, there's a wall right in front of you, then in that case, there's no harm if a person has his front or back in that direction. Because remember the hadith that one of the companions, he went up to the roof and he saw the Prophet ﷺ, obviously it was an accident, facing the Baytul Maqdis and his back towards the Qibla. Okay? But this was, what? In a closed place. So it's possible that Abu Ayyub did not know about that. Alright? So, if you are in a similar situation, then know that there is no harm in this. Now, there is one more thing that I'd like to mention before we conclude, which is the issue of pointing one's feet in the direction of the Qibla. Because when it comes to using the washing, then we wonder, is it okay to have your feet in the direction? Then, Sheikh Abdullah bin Humayt, he was asked about pointing one's feet in the direction of the Qibla and he replied, there is nothing to say that this is not allowed. But some of the scholars regarded it as makruh, meaning something that is disliked. To stretch the feet out towards the Kaaba if one is close to it. So for example, you're sitting in the haram, in the courtyard, and you have your feet stretched out with your, you know, facing the Kaaba. They said this is makruh. They regarded this as makruh, but not emphatically so. Meaning they didn't think it was that big of a deal. Disliked, but not a sin. But if there is a mosque somewhere else, and there is a Muslim there, who points his feet towards the Qibla, there is no harm in that, and he is not doing anything forbidden, inshallah, as the scholars have stated. Why? Because there is nothing really forbidding us from that. Likewise, Sheikh bin Uthaymeen was asked a similar question about pointing the feet towards the Qibla while sleeping. And he said there is no blame on a person if he sleeps and his feet are pointing towards the Qibla. You know, for example, your room could be such that the only place where you can put the bed is the feet facing the Kaaba, facing the Qibla. And you feel sinful for that. No, there is no sin in that. First of all, hardly it happens that a person is lying straight. 
Right? Your feet are always bent, either towards the right or to the left. And secondly, even if they are, there is no sin in that because there is nothing that proves that it is dislike. The only thing that the scholar said that if you're sitting close to the Kaaba, you know, right next, in front, in the haram, then it seems disrespectful. But even they didn't consider it to be really a big deal. Inshallah, a lot more to learn about the Qibla next time. There are many things that we have started out of respect, but this respect should not make our life difficult for us. You know, when there is no haraj in the deen, then we should not make the haraj. Ad-deenu yusr. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.